Well, good morning. I hope it is well with your soul. If you know Jesus Christ, you have every reason to have a soul that is well and glad and contented, even when things around us don't seem to be going quite the way we would like it to go, we can still have a soul that is well with the Lord. And uh, I hope that is you today. While we are still a good part of the church is uh, not with us, we've moved the announcements to right before the sermon so that uh, people that watch the recording on uh, the sermon.net or on Facebook is able to get the announcements. So um, eventually we'll go back and probably do it in the beginning of the service, but for now we'll continue doing this because we want to make sure that as many people receive the announcements as they are going on. Uh, we welcome everyone back in person. It's great to be here. Um, God is good. And uh, we look forward to when uh, this pandemic is reduced enough and uh, society is opened up enough again that uh, everyone can be back and we can uh, have children back in service. And, and uh, we're looking forward to that day. Uh, a couple announcements to put out uh, for since we are reopening the community group and the women of the word uh, want to begin again. And uh, we'll be opening up this week. Community group will be meeting here Tuesday morning, uh, Tuesday evening at 630 at the church. And uh, just keep in mind that uh, we are continuing with the um, safety protocols yeah, I was told 6.30, but now it is 6 o'clock. So I'll update the uh, calendar. I don't have my pen on me. But uh, so 6 o'clock. No, I'll, I'll update it. I'll, I'll remember. And then Women of the Word is Thursday morning at 10 o'clock. So uh, if you are wanting information on the community group, get a hold of either Grant or Bob. And if you want information on Women of the Word, uh, reach out to Lisa. Um, but th- those are both starting up again this week. So, uh, A couple things I'd just like to uh, uh, pray for as we get started. Uh, one, I would like to pray for the, the healing of our country uh, with the, the many struggles that we are having as a society around the country. Um, We pray that God will intervene in the way he, I think, would typically do that is by using us in society. So it becomes important for us to be examples for Christ in our community and be a a catalyst, if you will, for change and for peace and for settling things down and not being a a part of uh, the problem. So I encourage you to be the example of Jesus that people around you might see in, in your, your world, wherever that may be. So um, just like to pray for that and, and pray for the, uh, the sermon. And then we'll get started. Father, again we come to you and we just thank you for the opportunity that we have to, to be here, to be together again. We look forward to when uh, all of us can be back and we just pray that whatever needs to take place to um, 
help everyone to feel comfortable with coming back if it's if it's numbers continuing to go down, the vaccine come out, uh, the relaxation of wearing masks, whatever it may be that is uh, people are waiting for. We just ask that Lord it will come soon, and that uh, this uh, disease will be uh, under more control. And Lord, we look forward to the time when uh, all of us are able to uh, get back to some type of normalcy. And we ask, Lord, that uh, in the meantime, especially as we are struggling as a nation with many issues and, and, and much disagreement along political lines and race lines and, and uh, how to deal with pandemics and all the various issues that we have going on, Lord, we pray that you will intervene in our country, that you will bring peace, that you will bring unity. And Lord, we pray that you will use your church in America and around the world to be able to be an influence for peace and love and justice and uh, that we can be the men and women of of uh, God that you want us to be and be an example to those around us of peace and joy and love in our hearts and in our lives. Lord, we just ask um, that you'll do a great work uh, in the church uh, here locally and throughout the United States and throughout the world because we know that this is your children and that you love us and that you're working in our lives even now as we are living through the circumstances that we are dealing with. Be with the remainder of the service, with the preaching of your word. We pray, O Lord, that you will bless your word as it goes out and accomplish everything that you desire it to accomplish. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, So we have been working on, uh, and I, I know a year later, we're finally getting to the point we are, presently at, but we've been working on trying to get live stream and uh, lyrics on the live stream and various things, and I think we're, we're more or less there, um, which is fine. Uh, there's still many that are hopefully watching that at home, uh, but we do ask your help, and uh, since we're not seeing necessarily what you're seeing at home, if you're having problems or pick up on something that seems to be an issue uh, feel free to reach out to one of the elders and pass that to us, and we'll we'll see if there's something we can do to fix it. Um, just keep in mind we're a small church. Um, the 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 very large churches that a lot of people will watch and live stream on and watch their services. Those are very professionally done with very expensive equipment that we don't have. So we we are limited to not only the equipment we can afford but the expertise you can afford too, and that's me and Ted and others that are involved with setting this up. And I can tell you, you're getting everything you're paying me for. <laughs> so, um, yeah, <laughs> Ted, Ted said him too. So, But we hope that uh, it is working at least to, for a majority of people. But if you are having problems, especially with a live stream, uh, just let us know. And we'll see if there's something we can do to try to improve it. But uh, uh, that's, that's all I can promise. <laughs> so, uh, so this morning, uh, we'll be doing the first of two sermons 
that will be in the book of Numbers. As you know, we're going through the Bible. This year as a church, and uh, we're preaching week to week on various uh, parts of typically the reading we just went through. To this Sunday is an exception to that. But uh, some of the sermons, there will be several in maybe a book, and then others, like uh, Numbers, there's just two. Uh, and if you have any history with the book of Numbers, that's a lot of chapters for two sermons. So uh, we can only, we can only uh, put out so much for that particular book. But we want to encourage you to continue reading, keep up with us, read the schedule that, uh, uh, along with us. And um, I think it will, will really benefit and uh, uh, enjoy doing this as a church together. I believe if you're uh, up with us on the reading, you should be going into Numbers possibly tomorrow or the next day. I think I'm a day ahead, so I just finished Leviticus. So uh, you're either going to finish Leviticus and hit Numbers quickly, or you're starting Numbers. So uh, next week, Pastor Bob will be uh, dealing with a, um, a particular event that took place in Numbers. Today, I'm going to do a little bit more of a survey, which being that you haven't necessarily started reading the reading into Numbers yet, it gives me an opportunity to kind of introduce you to it and maybe uh, help you to kind of be watching for things that you will come across as you begin reading uh, in the book. The book of Numbers is the fourth of five books that are known as the Law of Moses or the more official name that maybe a lot of us uh, kind of know it as, the Pentateuch, I believe is the proper way to spell it. I even had to write that out phonetically to make sure I pronounced it that way. Uh, The first five books are the first five books of not only the Christian Bible that we use, but even in the Jewish, it isn't really a Bible, but I think you get the idea what I'm talking about. The Jewish Bible also has Uh, These same five books are in the very first part of their Bible. Numbers was written by Moses in the last year of his life, and he it it received its name, the numbers, from the two numberings or censuses that were conducted. There was one that was taken and detailed a little bit right in the beginning of the book of Numbers in chapter one. And then the second is detailed in chapter 26, towards the end of the book. The first census was of the people that lived in captivity in Egypt and that were brought out on the Exodus and are preparing, being prepared over a period of time to go into the promised land. The second census was taken of what's called the next generation, the one that was after uh, this that came out of Egypt. Uh, many of them were very young during the time of the Exodus, or they weren't born yet. And um, so it talks about two. Of wandering in the wilderness, which is the meaning of the Hebrew name, which I'm not even going to try to pronounce, of, uh, of this book. It, it translates the wandering. 
And it records laws of the camp, which you kind of, for us, you, you know, the, the camping that we do, I, I would imagine there's some minor laws that the Abishans have set up for their annual uh, uh, camping trip every summer. But just imagine uh, this large of a camp and the types of laws that they may have to uh, establish to be able to function. And it was also laws that uh, uh, helped them when they traveled from place to place and, and moved around. The book documents the people's rebellion, their lack of faith, their disobedience. And then it also records God's judgment on them because of their sins. But it also reveals God's love and his grace and his mercy and his protection and faithfulness and provision for his people, which is a wonderful opposite, if you will, of what's going on in the people's lives. It'd be kind of depressing if all we were reading about in the book is Israel did this and Israel did that and the problems that came out of it, the consequences that came out of it. But in the story, we also get to see God at work with his people. It's a story of how God cares for and relates to his children. And in Numbers, that's the Israelites. But today, if we read with our eyes open, we can see many of God's characteristics and attributes that we also experience in our relationships with God. The history recorded in its pages should be a serious lesson to all of God's people. And it shows us that God loves us and that he wants the very best for us. God can and he should be trusted, which was a great failing of the Israelites to learn. And unfortunately, for most of us today, we haven't learned it either. We don't realize it as well as we could if we were being faithful and trusting God in our lives. Numbers will make the most sense when you read it if you read it in conjunction with the other four books that are a part of the law. It builds on the promises that God made to Abraham in Genesis and the redemption from bondage in Exodus. It completes the religious instructions of, for Israel that were given to them in Leviticus. And it provides the direction of worship and the movement of the newly built tabernacle. So it helps complete the picture for us. Numbers documents a period of time of about 40 years. From, a, from one year after they left Egypt and went to Mount Sinai until the new generation of Israelites that we talked about with the second census, which ends in the book of uh, Numbers, that they arrive at the plains of Jordan preparing to enter the promised land. In the opening chapters of Numbers, 
Israel had been at Mount Sinai for about a year where the Lord had entered into a, the Mosaic uh, covenant with them. He gave them the Ten Commandments and the law that was going to be shaping them as a nation. Remember, this was a people that were in captivity for 400 years. When he, they, he brought them out, he had to establish them as a people group, as a nation again. And he does this by establishing these laws. They constructed the tabernacle where they're going to be meeting with God. They had ordained the priests who were going to mediate for them before God. And they instituted the sacrifices and the, and the sanctified way of life that their holy God requires. So it was a, a very productive year, very busy, I'm sure, for all the people. In chapter 1, God commanded Moses to take a census. Again, a numbering. And we're told that there were close to a million men, women, and children. They give us the number of the men, but when you start thinking about the, the women, the children uh, involved with that number, it's easily got to be close to a million people. Even today, that is a lot of people. We only have 150,000 people in our county. So, you know, a little more than a tenth of the number. And at the time this was taking place, it was a huge number of people, animals and property that had to be moved around. This is one of the reasons for some of the laws of the camp that God gave them to be rules on how to set up the camp, the order it should be set up, the format it should be set in, and then how to move from place to place in an orderly manner. Try, try even envisioning how you would move that large of a group from place to place. You don't just turn people loose. They just go crazy. Most of the events take place in what is called the wilderness. This is a land that contained very little vegetation or trees. And because of the lack of rainfall that it would get from year to year, it couldn't be farmed and was probably best used for tending flocks of animals. That would be about the only thing you could do, goats and sheep, that type of thing, camels maybe. It's, it's located in what we know today as the Sinai Peninsula, if you're familiar with the Middle East. It isn't a desert that you might think of with the Sahara or maybe even parts of the Mojave Desert here in California of rolling sand hills. You know, you, you, you watch TV or movies and you see these desert scenes and it's usually these people struggling over big sand dunes. And, and it's not quite like that, but it is a very dry and desolate land. It was also a land that would not naturally sustain such a great mass of people and animals like the Israelites had at the time. Even if the people were just passing through the wilderness, and we find later that they end up living there for 40 years. Imagine the quantity of food and water 
And I was even thinking, you know, they, they, they're having sacrifices and things. So then you also have to add on top of that wood. Wood for the sacrifices. Wood for the cook fires. Wood for the fires to keep warm. Imagine how much would be necessary to exist for this large of a people. And in this book, we learn that the Israelites lived there for 40 years, wandering around in it. It's only by God's miraculous provision that they could have survived as they did. That's the only explanation. In chapter 10, the final preparations were completed and the order was given for the people to begin their trip from Mount Sinai to Jordan. So for the first 10 chapters, they're finishing up what they're working on at Mount Sinai. They're getting ready to leave. At chapter 10, the order is given. The day finally came when the cloud of God's presence that was over the tabernacle lifted up, and began to move. I would like to, because of this picture that we just read, I would like to uh, deal with something that uh, you'll find in the Old Testament and it might help you understand what's taking place when you read it. And the the cloud of God's presence is one of those um, situations or events or the uh, and what I want to talk to you about is called types biblical types which is a very special symbolism where a person or a thing in the Old Testament is a foreshadow of a person or thing in the New Testament So if we say that someone is a type of Christ, for instance, then we're saying that a person in the Old Testament behaved in a way that corresponded to Jesus' character or his actions in the New Testament. doesn't mean that it's a perfect representation or picture of it. It's just they did something that represents or looks at something Jesus does. It corresponds to it. And it could also be an object or an event in the Old Testament that can be viewed as representatives of some quantity of Jesus also. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 with me for a minute. I want to show you a couple couple things and, and tie them together here. I'm going to start reading with verse 1. where the Apostle Paul says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us that we may, might not desire evil as they did. 
Do not be idolaters, as they, as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality, as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test, as some of them did, and were destroyed by serpents or grumbled, or nor grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but it were written down for our instruction on whom the ends of ages has come. Now when you're reading through all that, I'm sure pictures are coming to mind of the story of the Exodus we just finished reading. The story of getting uh, water from the rock and things like that. And you're sitting there going, I don't remember it being identified as a spiritual water or a spiritual bread. And where was Christ? They're saying here, Paul is saying here that it was Christ. So those images in the back that we see were types of what Jesus is doing. And it's being given to us now since we have the New Testament. It helps us. We get the benefit, if you will, as Christians today to have the New Testament to help us to look back at the pages of Old Testament and have better understanding of what was taking place. The things that were referred to in verse 6 were the events that happened to the Israelites listed earlier in the verses. Things that actually took place. These were not just fiction writing. These were things that took place in the lives of the Israelites. And they were intended to be typical or types of something that became clearer in the pages of the New Testament. Turn to Hebrews chapter 10 for a second. Verse 1. Hebrews 10.1 For since the law has but, has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered, Every year, make perfect those who draw near. So what the writer is saying here is that the Old Testament types are but shadows that we can see, or they saw at the time. And think about what a shadow is. It's a, um, a shadow cannot be cast if there wasn't something real to make it, right? Shadows, just if you were able to stand out there and try to look around, you, you typically are not going to find a shadow floating around that doesn't have something real somewhere behind it making the shadow. You may not always be able to find what that thing is, if it's a cloud or something, but um, it requires something real to make it. A shadow, however, is not an exact representation of the real thing. It's an imperfect representation. So when we see the types in the Old Testament, don't be confused that they have to be exactly like something that took place in the New Testament. It's a representation. And let's look at an example of it. Turn to Numbers chapter 21. 
Again, you'll be getting to this in a week or so. This describes a significant event that took place to the Israelites in the wilderness. And starting with the fourth verse, it reads, From Mount Hor they set out by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? But there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten when he sees it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, if he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. So the people in this story, as you will see in the reading of Numbers, once again begin complaining about their circumstances. Some of what we've already talked about, how only by God's miraculous provision could these people, such a large mass of people, exist in the wilderness. And all the things that you'll read about that took place but they became discontent and they started distrusting God and they started complaining about their circumstances. God judges them by sending serpents among the people and many were bit and died. The people repented. Again, something, the cycle of sin, repentance, forgiveness, kind of back again, starts all over. The people repented and Moses intercedes for them to God who relented and instructed Moses to make this bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And my guess would be, so that more people could see it, he elevated it in some manner, either standing on something or holding it up high where more people could see it. And anyone who looked at it that had been bitten will live. Turn to John chapter 3 for a second. And this is, um, again, a kind of a perfect example for us from our reading in Numbers to see this type of Jesus and then having it explained to us in the New Testament readings. The Gospel of John chapter 3. And this is when Jesus was talking with Nicodemus and he spoke of the numbers event beginning in verse 10 where he says, Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, you speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not have, receive our testimony. 
If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into the heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man, speaking of himself. And listen what he says about the bronze snake event. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So that's what a biblical type is. You'll see a lot of them. So kind of read, keeping your eye open for them. You've already read in our reading so far since we started in the beginning of the year of biblical types that maybe you didn't pick up on. Some you may. Some, some are probably a little easier to pick up on. Some other types that you might have read or be seeing would be thing in the Old Testament would be Adam and Eve, Moses. Some things that Moses does is a type of Christ in a, showing what he's doing. In the reading we just did, he's interceding for the people before God. What does Jesus do for us? Right? That's what Jesus does. Isaac, Joseph, those are people. Here's some, some uh, things, the burnt offerings, the peace offerings, the sin offerings. All of these are types. Here's some events, the Passover, the Day of Atonement, the, uh, the tabernacle, and so on. There, there's so many types. So watch for them as we continue to read this year. And I think when you start realizing what they are and are able to kind of tie them to the reading in the New Testament later, uh, I think it will, it will help complete the picture, if you will, of, of what's going on and be more of a blessing to you. It's also helpful, I, I think, if you uh, have other resources available to you. One of the ones that I would like to make a point of today um, is... In the reading that we're doing with the Bible Project, if you printed out their schedule, uh, they have a reading of the Old Testament right now, Psalms, because we read through Psalms several times during the year, and in the far right column, they have videos. If you haven't been watching any of the videos, I really encourage you to start going back and looking at some of them or watching them as they suggest them. They're on their their site. Uh, There's a search window you can type in. Um, you know, whatever the the theme is that they're suggesting and watch that. They're short. They're maybe three to five minutes, but they do a really good job at trying to help lay the picture out for you. Sometimes it's talking about uh, kind of a summary. Other times it's talking about specific things, but it's a really good resource for you. And I know uh, the women's uh, Bible studies have been using them for several years now. Um, and I, I know they really enjoy them and, and uh, get a lot out of them. So um, I encourage you to watch those uh, short videos as you're reading through when they come up. So, okay, so let's go back to chapter 8 and start working on uh, uh, concluding this. Um, Numbers chapter 10 where the tabernacle is, uh, the day arrived where the people were going to begin their journey, and we were told it's towards Kadesh, which is just south of the Promised Land. The trumpets have been blown. 
the cloud lifted over the tabernacle of the testimony and the people of Israel set out in stages. They don't always just start moving as a mass. There's an order to things from the wilderness at Mount Sinai. Now this cloud, which is the same cloud that was described as the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night in the story of the Exodus, it's the same cloud the, the, that we're talking about. And, it, and it's associated with the angel of God or the angel of God's presence. Whenever you see this term being used, or this name being used, this is the, uh, the angel of God or the presence of the angel of God. And the cloud is a picture of the Lord's unfailing guidance. It's how he leads the people in, this, in that particular journey uh, through the wilderness for the, all those years. Not long after beginning the journey, the people begin to complain again about their circumstances. And this is an ongoing problem for these people. And God became angry with them because of their sin of discontentment and their lack of trust in him. And he punished them by using fire this time to consume some of the people in the outlying areas of the camp. It didn't come down on the center of the camp. It was hitting somehow on the outlying areas. The people repented, went to Moses to intercede for them before God. Again, a type of Christ. And the fire stopped. Here's an example in that story of God's long-suffering patience with his children. His compassion and his mercy towards them. Here he was angry at them because of their sins and in the end he forgives them and has compassion on them and loves them. This is one of the many stories recorded of the Israelites complaining and sinning against God and then God punishing them for their sins and sitting judgment on them. Moses intercedes on their behalf before God and then God having mercy in forgiving them. Now we might be tempted to think poorly of the Israelites because they were continually complaining and disobeying God in this story, you might even start reading through here going, good grief, not again. God is faithfully providing for them daily and protecting them and leading them through the wilderness. And they complain. But before you go too far with thinking poorly of them, you should probably take a look in the mirror because I think all of us will probably not like what we see. We do the same exact thing that the Israelites were doing. We get discontented with God. We distrust Him. We think that we can do things better, that we can make a better decision, that my way is better. And that's what they were doing. And it was identified as sin that was being punished. We too are stiff-necked, disobedient, prideful, 
unappreciative, arrogant people. I know I am. Remember what we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 a while ago. That the things that we're reading took place with the Israelites are to be examples for us. That we might not desire evil as they did. The Old Testament books were written to give us examples and to instruct us on how we should not live and how we should live in a way that's pleasing to God. That's what those pages are there for, among other things. So there's an important incident that takes place in Numbers chapter 13 and 14 that I'll conclude on. If you turn to Numbers chapter 13, I'll make mention to... uh, this for it's a significant event in the wilderness journey and it leads to the judgment that resulted in the people of Israel being judged and having to wander for 40 years so it's important for us to maybe look at that and understand what happened the Lord using Moses led the people through the wilderness of Paran where they were to enter into Canaan the promised land And the Lord had Moses send out spies. Many of us know the story. Representatives of all 12 tribes. And they went into the land to find out information about the people in the country that they were about to encounter. And the spies returned after 40 days.